Good morning. Hope you all have enjoyed the lessons we've learned from our friends Caleb and Joshua. Seems like I'm learning things from Caleb and Joshua all the time. Although I guess that might be a different Caleb and Joshua. I've also learned quite a bit from these studies as well. Before we turn to a chapter in Joshua, I'd just like to talk about something I think we can all relate to. Exceptions. Exceptions. I think at this time, uh, thanks Jake, this time of the year, coming around April 15th, we start to look for exceptions, don't we? What kind of exceptions are we looking for? Tax exceptions. We like those type of exceptions, don't we? Hey, wait, I just found something. Hey, this is a rule, actually, that I don't have to be taxed on that. I was talking to somebody. We're talking about how, who, whether you're doing your own taxes or have someone else do your taxes, and I'm not going to be a proponent of either one specifically, but I just happen to like, have, I happen to like having someone else do my taxes. They find the things I miss, the exceptions. Exceptions can be good things, can't they? Unfortunately, exceptions can also be bad things, can't they? You know, there's a great Olympian, a great athlete, set incredible records, and will go down in history as setting those incredible records, except his unsightly behavior after that's plastered all over the internet or all over the news. It's an exception, isn't it? It's kind of sad. Or a great baseball player. He broke the biggest record of all time. But they're going to put what next to his name in the record books? An asterisk. Why? They're making an exception. You see? So exceptions aren't always good things, are they? An exception. Well, that's what we have this morning. As we looked at Jericho, Jericho was a great victory. As we looked at the walls and what the Lord did, and even thousands of years later, it's still a great victory for the Lord. But you know what? There's an asterisk. There's an exception. It's in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. You're back in the book of Joshua. Chapter 6, we just covered the battle of Jericho. As we mentioned last week, it wasn't much of a battle, more of a rout. A parade and then a rout. Reading Joshua chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. You catch that, that first word? But. Ugh. Right when things are going well. But. They committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is between Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Wow, what happened? A great victory at Jericho. Huge fortress. Right? And all they did is have to parade around it and the walls came down. They all went up before them, going up on ramps, as it were. The great victory. Now, AI, ah, it's a nothing. Just send up a couple thousand. This is no problem. And then what? Crash. Fell right on their face, didn't they? What's happened here? Can you relate to this? You'll have a victory. Something will go real well. And you go, all right, that was great. And before you know it, crash. Something that should have been easy, should have been easy to deal with. And you fall right on your face. Let's look at that. Let's look at Joshua's response in verse 6. 
Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord, excuse me, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? I think there's things to appreciate in Joshua's response here. When things go wrong, where should you go? You go to the Lord. And you get on your face before the Lord. And I appreciate their example here. They got on their face before the Lord. And I like their focus. And to some extent, he says, what are we going to do for your great name and your people? This is for you, Lord. You see? But the only thing I could uh, caution us, it it almost seems like he's blaming the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you know, I don't understand it. What's going on? This isn't right. Well, there's, a, there's a, a real key secret in knowing and following the Lord. You can bank on this every single time. A billion times. A billion times a billion. If there's something wrong between you and the Lord, whose fault is it? It reminds me of the proverbial uh, father and son who go out to the woodshed. And the father takes the son out and says, all right, one of us is lying, and it's not me. Yeah, I take comfort in that, you know? The Lord's perfect. And with the Lord, everything is yes, and everything is amen. And when things go south, we have to put the brakes on and say, Lord, what happened? What happened here? And I like the Lord's response here. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put in put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the cursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to, the, according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel." Someone touched something, didn't they? What's it called here? It's called the accursed thing. What is accursed thing? What does that mean? Well, he mentions it in the chapter before, in verses 17 through 19. The Lord gave him instruction. He said, look, don't take it. Whatever you see there, don't grab it. The gold and the silver, that's dedicated to the Lord. Leave everything else there. So you know what? When, how can you tell if something's wrong, if something's accursed? Because God says so. It's real simple. It's a real simple pattern to go by. But God says, don't touch it, don't touch it. He says, don't go there in your mind. He gives you a guilty conscience, don't go there. Don't do it, don't see it. Then don't go there. And we also recognize that the Lord used the evidence there. I don't know why it was accursed. Maybe they had offered it to idols. Maybe there was something contaminated about it. It doesn't matter. We don't know all the reasons why. We have enough. Why? Because God said so. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. And then we also know that thousands of years later, a lot of that same goods were still there. And, it's, and it was a testimony to the victory of Jericho. But do you see the pinpoint accuracy that the Lord's using here? 
We have about 2 million people. We have over 600,000, uh, a standing, a standing army of over 600,000. These are, these are men 20 years and older. And the Lord says, I'm going to pick it down to the exact man. Come on out. Let's talk about this. You want things right? Then let's deal with it. It reminded me of that expression. I looked it up. The context is the Lord, is the, the Lord I think through Moses, is speaking to the two and a half tribes. Remember how they were promised the land east of the Jordan? He says, if you don't go in, the Lord's going to know it. Be sure that your sin will what? Find you out. It's true, isn't it? It's true. It's true about baseball players, isn't it? It's true about Olympians on another continent. It's true about us today. God has pinpoint accuracy in verses 16 through 18. That's exactly what he does. He brings... It all out in the open. And who is it? It's Achan. They figure it out. It's Achan. What happened here? It's a three-part process. He saw it. And then he coveted it. And then he took it. Right? He saw it. And he coveted it. And he took it. What do the athletes do? I could be a millionaire. I could be in the Hall of Fame. Right? So what's the businessman do? I could be rich. No one will know. No one will know. I could have money. I could have fame. I could have notoriety. For us, what is it sometimes? Pleasure. Just pleasure for a short time. We want to feel good. We want something that makes us feel better. Remember we t- talked about last time, or um, the situation with Aiken. Maybe he was thinking, hey, there's all this good stuff. Why can't I just grab that one thing? Why not? What's wrong with it? It's just stuff. It's just articles. What a waste to see it burned up. You know, I could probably eventually use it for the Lord. Right? Some of these justifications ringing true in your own heart and mind. You ever did this to yourself? Justifications you use on yourself to do the thing the Lord's told you not to do. I was appreciating in a, in a, in a, in a devotional. That's when we're dejected. Where we di- we're discouraged usually by two things. Because... We can't have what we really want. What we're coveting, what we're lusting after. We can't have it. And then, when else are we dejected? When else are we depressed? When we get it, huh? You get that thing the Lord didn't want you to have. It comes with its shame. Lack of fellowship with the Lord. Let's turn there. How do these things happen? Let's turn to James chapter 1 and verse 13. Again, we kind of see that, that, that threefold process. James chapter 1 and verse 13. See, Achan said, I saw it. And then I coveted it, and I took it. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's what happens, doesn't it? really sad at the beginning who who do we sometimes end up blaming we end up blaming the lord he is so far removed from evil it's unimaginable for us but somehow in our minds we contort to think well this lord why is this happening to me you know 
No, it's not the Lord. And oftentimes we like to just blame the devil. Well, it's the devil's doing this, and it's the devil who's trying to tempt me. And what's the scripture say here? Whose responsibility is it? It's ours, isn't it? It's ours. It's that desire that we have. There's no one to blame but us. We want something the Lord doesn't want us to have. And we're going to see that was only for a short period of time. That was only in Jericho. It wasn't even true of the next battle. And was talking, we were talking about this at the Bible study. And um, you know, some of us, we get distracted with the easiest of things. It's basically shiny pieces of metal. Could be gold, could be silver, could be a car, you know. Yeah, I think it's not for any reason they don't call, what do you call Hollywood? Tinsel town, right? Just shiny. We go, wow, isn't that shiny? Isn't that neat? You see? And what? We are drawn away. When we're drawn to that thing, what are we drawn away from? That's right, it's from the Lord. You see? It's always twofold. You're drawn away to something else it's because you're being drawn away from the Lord. What happens? We get drawn away from our own desires. I don't think the devil's involved in all of them, but we know from Scripture he likes to throw out anything he can. I think uh, the devil, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if his minions are involved too. Whatever shiny thing they can dazzle in front of you, a new house, better house, better car, Better spouse, whatever he can shine in front of you to say, here, come over here. He'll do it. He'll pay that price. Then what happens? Desire is conceived, gives birth to sin. We do, we covet, we want that thing. We want it more importantly than we want the Lord. Ah, that's the sin right there. What's the Lord looking for? He's looking for love. And when we want that thing more than we want the Lord, there it is. You're sunk. I'm sunk. We're sunk. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. It does, doesn't it? What happened? What happened to the Israelites? Did it bring forth death? How many? 36 people died because of Achan. 36 people when the lord's in charge one of them is just chasing a thousand enemies but when they've forsaken the lord and they've sinned they're fleeing from the enemy and they're getting killed Achan caused the death of 36 people sin still causes death causes that fellowship we have with the lord it's really dead isn't it you ever struggled with the sin You ever struggle with the sin and you realize, you know what? Right now, my fellowship with the Lord is dead. I do not have the fellowship with the Lord I should. I remember particularly one time I was, I sleep like a rock normally. And I'm I'm happy for that. Not the Lord might change that. That's up to him. But I like to sleep like a rock. One day I was struggling with the sin and I could not sleep. And I just had this pit in my stomach. Lord said, do this. I thought, I don't want to do that. You need to do this, Charlie. Lord, I don't want to do that. You need to do this. I struggled. And I was sinning against the Lord. You see? Can't do anything else. What else is dying? What about my testimony? What about the opportunities? Maybe the Lord's working in that person's life. Maybe the Lord's working in that person's life. Can I even see it? Can you even perceive it? No. Why? It's right here. We're still, still busy. Dealing with the sin or not dealing with it. It causes death. What else ended up happening in the rest of that chapter? Achan dies. His whole family dies. Sin brings death. Why? Why does sin bring death? Because God is holy. He cannot indulge. He cannot bless us while we indulge in sin. Scripture says, I am holy, says the Lord. Therefore, you be holy. What does holy mean? It just means, here's the Lord and their sin, and the two have nothing to do with each other. What side are you on? Are you with the Lord and against sin? 
God is holy. His work must be holy. This beginning of his work is so important. He's going into the land, and what he's telling us, you must obey. This reminds you of another time the Lord started to work. Remember the book of Acts? And the church was being built, and everyone was coming to the apostles' feet and giving the things and said, that's everything we've got, and they're walking away, and Ananias and Sapphira's got something in their back pocket. Yeah, here, here's everything we've got. And they've kept some in their back pocket. And they lied about it. Peter said, is it not all of it your own? You have not lied to men. You have lied to God. You see? The Lord is holy. And he wants his people to be holy. Set apart for him. In a love relationship with him. Where we say, Lord, I want you more than anything else. More than that shiny piece of metal. More than any of those things that would distract me, that would take my heart away from you. Lord, I want you and you alone. What does the Lord require of you? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that's the answer, isn't it? How do we keep our eyes from being drawn away from the shiny pieces of metal? You know what? Lift them up. Have them consistently focused. What was it said about Caleb and Joshua? They are wholly committed to the Lord their God. Constantly focused on Him. When we stumble in this situation, what's the remedy? Ah, I love 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Someone quote that for us this morning? I know some veteran saints here have used it dearly. Out loud, please. All right, maybe we need to go there. Let's go there. First John 1, 8 and 9. First John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord for that verse, huh? Praise the Lord for that reality. Aren't you glad you know the God of second chances? What the Lord said, okay, that was Jericho. Everything was fine, but this one, I wiped you all out. Because you blew it. They did blow it. The Lord is holy. Praise the Lord. We have 1 John 1, 8 and 9. That we can confess our sins. And it says what? God's faithful and just based on who the Lord Jesus Christ is and that we're a child of God. It is based on God's faithful faithfulness and his justice that when we confess our sins, he forgives us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. I appreciate the verse in Proverbs that says, he who confesses and what? Forsakes his, his sin. That one will prosper. We confess our sin and we forsake it the Lord forgives us. And that's a beautiful time, isn't it? Renewed fellowship with the Lord. Walking with the Lord again. Wholly committed. Getting the shiny pieces of metal out of our way. And that's what we find back here in Joshua. Let's go ahead and turn there. God is good and gracious. Joshua chapter 8. When we repent and turn away from the accursed thing in our lives, he again restores to us the relationship we should have with him. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. You see, the Lord wanted to bless them. The Lord cannot bless his people when there's sin undealt with. And when that's cleared up, he says, all right, now you're going to have victory. Oh, and by the way, that treasure you're looking for, this is the one I wanted you to have. 
I, I'm, a, I'm a recent dog owner, and I, I, I hesitate to use this, use this illustration, so I'll just use it for myself. But I have a dog, and it, it brings me such joy when I say, and he's a four-month-old puppy, okay? So there's not a whole lot of natural obedience in this guy yet at all. I say, Buster, sit. Stay. And I'll open the door to the house. Or I'll be doing something else. And he stays. And that brings me joy, doesn't it? You know, I just want to be that, the Lord's puppy. You know, I just want to be that one that was obedient to the Lord. And he says, look, don't take that. All right, Lord. I don't need to know why. Then he says, oh, you can take this one. Thanks, Lord. All right. Why? Because it was his timing. It was his choice. That brings glory to God. When we don't grab. That's often the case with my, my, my five kids. Someone's arguing with somebody. Why? Somebody grabs something out of somebody's hand. We don't grab. We say, okay, Lord, whatever you want. Whatever you want. It's, it's really encouraging here. The Lord uses the defeated AI to get victory. The Israelites show up and then they come towards AI and then they start running away and the guy says, ah, oh, these Israelites, they don't know what they're doing. They're back for some more getting whooped. All right, go take out after them. And that's how the Lord uses an ambush to come back around, burn the city, and then destroy all the, the AI warriors that are out in the field. Isn't that like the Lord? He uses our defeats for good. All things working together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I tell you, it's wonderful. It's wonderful knowing the Lord and being on his side. As we look at the Israelites, we look at Joshua, we're learning lessons, aren't we? You'd like to think, well, now they live happily ever after, right? No, they continue to struggle. Who? Just like us. Just like us. Turn to Joshua chapter uh, 9 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite heard about it. They gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a, a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. In verse 14, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. What do we have here? What we have here is we have a smart enemy. This is a smart enemy. They see, they've heard who Israel is and who the God of Israel is. And they said, you know what, we've got to figure this one out. We've got to work our way around it. We know they're sent to destroy everyone here in the land. That means we're dead. So what do they do? They're smart enough not to fight, make all their provisions old, their wineskins, their food. And they say, hey, no, we're from a far country. Make a, a covenant with us. We know that 
you have had victories. And you notice the victories that they mentioned? They mentioned the old ones on the other side of the Jordan. They don't talk about Jericho. They don't talk about Ai or any other victories. They talk about the ones against Og and over there on the, other, on the east of Jordan. So they're a smart, they're a smart enemy. What's the problem here? It's in verse 14, isn't it? But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They didn't check things out first, did they? I had a situation at work where I had a PO, and oftentimes we deal with purchase orders, and one of the latest ones one of my buyers was working on was $2 million. So, of course, you're doing everything to make sure that big, huge ones are exactly right. I had another situation a couple weeks ago. Well, it was for, I don't know, $10,000, $15,000. Someone had given it to me. I said, hey, you're missing a signature from the vice president here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go and check with him. He'll sign it. It's okay. But they really need it. Can you get it to him? Can you get it to the vendor to send it to him and then get the signature later? Now, I know the person who was telling me this. I've known him for years and worked with him. I know he's trustworthy. But the proper order of things is to get things signed first. So I sent the PO over anyway. And I followed up and make sure I got the signature with the vice president. So I show up at his office. I said, hi, you know, Paul was going to have you sign this. Could you sign this uh, purchase order? Oh, yeah, I'm glad you got that. Yeah, I want to hold on to that because something's wrong with that. I want to make sure that I hold on to that for now. Oops. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves, don't we? You know, and oftentimes it's not even in the big things; it's in the little things. Oh, I've got this one covered. I've done this. I've done this road stop a thousand times. I've done this set of windows a, a billion times. I know this computer language, this computer problem. I can do it in my sleep. There might be some truth to that. There's something more wrong with that than right. What is it? It's pride, isn't it? it Can't be pride. So needless to say, I got on the phone. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, could you hold on to that PO? I have, I'm, and I sent them in writing. That PO is on hold, you see, which is an option that I have. But it spoke to me of not being presumptuous, of, of doing things in the right order, of checking first, you see. When do we do this? Sometimes we do do it with big things. Talk about the, I think it's the big three, right? Where do you live? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to work? You know what? Work's a hard thing these days, isn't it? What's going to happen? I might be let go. What am I going to do? Well, if I get let go, maybe I should move somewhere that's a little easier to live. You know? Well, if I do that, well, then maybe I'll find someone to marry over there when I get over there if I'm not married. You see? get all these ramifications going on in our head and we start worrying, thinking about all these different ways all these things can work together, right? What's missing in all that? The Lord. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You see? I'm going to encourage everyone here. Ask counsel of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Someone says, well, if I ask the Lord and I'm willing to do whatever he wants, you know, if I'm not married, I might have to marry somebody ugly. You know? Well, let me tell you from personal experience. Okay? I brought all that before the Lord. And as far as I can tell from my personal experience and other experience I've seen, the Lord doesn't give you someone ugly to marry. Rest assured. If I'll do whatever the Lord wants, I'll have to take a job that I'll hate. Yep, yeah, God wants to give you a job you're going to hate. Does that sound like the Lord you know? The one who was all the way to a cross for you and died for your sins so you could be with him for eternity? You know, every job I've had has been just beyond my belief, really, in so, in so many different ways. Many of you know, I was in research and development at an ice cream company. I mean, that was a good 
70, 80 pounds ago. <laughs> you know? Hey, Kathy's saying, you're not the only one, Charlie. I remember when, Gene, when I told Gene I had to quit, he said, oh, this is a sad, sad day. <laughs> the Lord's not going to give you a job you hate. Well, if, I, if, if I'll do anything for the Lord and move anywhere for the Lord, he might, he might send me to Africa. He might send me to the headhunters in Papua New Guinea. You know, I've been to Papua New Guinea. It's a really nice place. And if I think of a place to raise a family and to see kids who see life on a real level and who are others-oriented in dealing with the real world, I tell you, the third world is not a bad place to be. I see some of you who have been there start nodding your head. The Lord is, is the giver of what? Every good and perfect gift. That's the continuation of that passage there in James, by the way. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. It comes down from the Father of lights, not darkness. With whom there's no variation, shadow of turning. Well, what do we have here? We have a situation where the Israelites blew it. They made the most of it. They didn't make a mistake and try to go back against it. There's some situations where you go forward, you can't go back. You get out of the will of God and you marry an unsaved person, guess what? You're married. That's the way it is. They did the best that they could. Actually, later, King Saul, he started killing the Gibeonites, and God caused a plague. Why? Because God was honoring the agreement that was made. They had sworn by the Lord. You see? It's not always the case. Feel free to seek counsel about commitments you have made. Scriptures have different aspects of that and different uh, possibilities. But sometimes there's no, no way back. So in all the ups and downs we see of Joshua and the children of Israel, you know what the neat thing is to stop and remember? What's God doing? He's fulfilling all his promises. But he had, t- he had told them, look, I'm going to give you a land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And all the enemies are going to run before you. And you're going to get the land. And I'm going to give it to you. From here to here and there to there. It's all yours. And what's happening? It's happening exactly the way God said. All those promises, promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to the earlier generation of the children of Israel who didn't believe and now reaffirmed to Joshua and the new generation. Everything the Lord has said, he's done it. You know, the same is, the same is true for us today, isn't it? When you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, what did he promise you? eternal life and this is eternal life it's in his son he who has the son has life jesus said this is eternal life that they might know you the only true god in jesus christ whom you have sent you have that eternal life don't you you have that peace with god that no matter what happens the world and no one else ever gave that to you and no one could take it away praise the lord what a wonderful life. Everything the Lord has promised has come to pass, hasn't it? If you lack a need, the Lord's provided it. If you lacked wisdom, the Lord gave it, didn't he? Even up until this day. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I thought of this passage in light of this, and I thought it was very appropriate. Remember we were talking about exceptions? This is a great exception passage. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's waxing eloquent in the first three verses about a whole, how horrible people we are and how much we deserve God's wrath and nothing else. And I like the exception in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But don't stop there. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created into Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see? God's given us all these precious promises. Why? He's got a whole thing of works he wants us to be busy about doing. And when you study the book of Joshua and into the book of Judges, God cast out all the, the, the enemy, right? Were they completely gone? Were they 100% gone from the land? Actually, no. Hey, wait, you mean God didn't fulfill his promise? Yes, he did. He said, I'm giving you the land, and as much as you chase the enemy, and as much as you fight the enemy, you're going to win. You see, there's God's part. He promises victory. And then what's our part? We've got to step up and fight. There's a battle to fight. And we know that, don't we, intuitively as believers. We know it from scriptures as well. Everything that pertains to life and godliness God has given us. Are we choosing to fight the battle? Are we saying no to sin? Are we saying yes, Lord, filling our lives with the things of the Lord and keeping sin, the world, and the devil out as much as possible? Everything of the Lord's promises come to light. It's been fulfilled. And God wants to see them fight. Let's turn back to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua 13, verse 1, And Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that you... That, excuse me. Okay, no, it's just that verse 1. And there's very much land yet to be possessed. What's the point there? The Lord gave them the land. They need to take it. And what, if you go on to read here, we won't take the time to read it. What the Lord's telling him is, look, divide the land, Joshua. Get the people into the land and then charge them with driving out the enemy. That's what the Lord's left us here to do, hasn't he? You think about that. When you become a believer, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go to heaven. Let's go. Right? Wouldn't that be great? You get saved, you get to go to heaven. What doesn't happen if that happens? There's no fight. There's no battle. Remember how the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I wonder today, tomorrow, does he say, have you considered my servant Tom? Have you considered my servant Megan? Have you considered my servant Stephen? The Lord is saying, these are the ones who love me. These are the ones who follow me. And sometimes I wonder, the Lord looks at us and he goes, okay, well, we won't point that one out today. <laughs> that one's struggling. And I can hear in my heart of hearts, God looking at us, his children, and going, a heavy sigh. Not being able to point out that one. As it were, to brag on that one. Because we're struggling. So in, in, as we're going to close here in the life of Joshua, let's turn to uh, chapters 23 and 24. We're going to see that there was work to be done. In chapter 23, 23 he recounts for them all the victory that God has given them and he says in verse 14 behold this day I'm going the way of all the earth and you know in all your hearts 
and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Like the way another expression says, not one word has hit the ground. Right? My kids like to blow balloons and bounce them in the air like volleyball. Not one hits the ground. They can help it. The Lord does not let one of his things hit the ground. He's provided everything for them. It was up to them to possess it. It was up to them to be committed to it, to finish the work. And Joshua charges them to do that. What I'd like to do in these last couple of minutes is I would like to read Joshua 24, verses 1 through 24. But I'd like to read it in a different way. If the Lord has been speaking to your heart about this passage and what it means to be committed, wholly committed to the Lord and to serve the Lord, I would like to read this. I'm going to read everything except for when it says, and the people said. And then I would like the, 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 everyone here who would like to participate to read it out loud and take the heart of the people as you see here in Joshua 24. Does that make sense? I'll read, the, I'll read the, most of it. And when it says, for instance, um, where's the first time they say something here? Verse 16. Yeah, 16. And the people answered and said, okay? And then we'll all read that together. Okay? That makes sense? Joshua 24 and verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you, and the Egyptians brought the sea upon them and covered them. And the Egyptians brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand, that you might possess the, their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with, the, not with your sword or with your bow, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, From the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land, 
we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God will serve. Amen. Lord, we do want to thank you. We want to thank you for these lessons we learned from Joshua and Caleb. We think of the children of Israel and how you did everything and provided for them. And Lord, we think of this last chapter where we see you calling not just them, but, but ourselves into a love relationship with you. Where we love the Lord our God and him only serve. And so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for their examples. We thank you that even though when they failed, you were gracious to them and you were merciful. And Lord, we thank you today how gracious and merciful you are to us. Lord, we confess our own weakness, our own inability. And Lord, yet we know that everything in you is yes and everything is amen. That greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So, Lord, we do commit ourselves to serve you, to love the Lord our God. Lord, in this assembly, in this time, when so much around us would distract us, would try to destroy us. And, Lord, we know you're a holy God. You cannot, you will not bless us if we're indulging in sin. Lord, we say with the psalmist, try me, O God, and search my heart. See if there are any anxieties in me. See if there's any wicked way in me and bring us into the paths of everlasting righteousness, Lord. Draw us near that we might serve you, that, Lord, you might get the glory out of our lives that you so richly deserve. Help us now, Lord Jesus, for we ask in your name. Amen.